Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to Safety Talk. On this show, we discuss and bring attention to a wide range of personal safety and security products and solutions that are available to both businesses and individuals in the digital world as well as the physical world. I'm your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. As a self-employed information technology consultant since 1995, and as a martial artist for over 20 years, I bring decades of personal safety and security experience to my role as the host of this show. To learn more about how I can help your corporation, college, or conference, please visit my personal site at PeteCanavan.com. Thanks so much for our listeners for being here. We appreciate you helping us spread the word about Safety Talk by sharing it in your social circles. And we've got another great guest for you guys today. He is a veteran of the IT and cybersecurity space, specializing in information security management and cybersecurity operations. He's the co-founder and senior VP of strategy at a company called Cyberint. He has more than 25 years of experience in IT and cybersecurity and focuses on cybersecurity risk management and operations across a wide variety of different industries, including banking and telecom, uh, e-commerce, retail, infrastructure, government, etc. He founded Cyber Intent more than 10 years ago to fulfill the security threat detection and response services that he needed while he was working as a CISO for a company called Zim Integrated Shipping Services, which is one of the largest global shipping companies in the world. So it's my pleasure to welcome Itai Yanovsky to Safety Talk. Welcome, Itai. Thank you. Hi, Kate. Welcome. Happy to be here. Great. Great to have you on the show with us today. Now, um, I've done some research and reading about Cyberint, as I do with all my guests and their companies. And so, you know, Cybersecurity and corporate safety have really been in the spotlight over the last few years as you know, major attacks just continue on really the largest companies and banks and even you know, to credit monitoring services. And these are companies that have you know, very deep pockets. They've got big budgets for their, their information technology and their security, but they still are being hacked successfully and information is being stolen and stolen, you know. So um, it's looking at, you know, I looked over your site. I formulated some questions for you. We're going to, we're going to bounce over and show our listeners that who are watching, uh, for those that are not, you know, obviously, uh, take a look at the, the company website and we're going to get more into it. So we're going to get right in. Sound good? All right. Yep. All right. So fantastic. So let's, let's start off with really having you give us sort of a high level overview of what CyberInt is uh, and what it can do for businesses in these different industries. So uh, CyberInt is, uh, is a provider of uh, intelligence-driven detection and response um, services for uh, a myriad of um, different companies around the globe um, in different sectors, in the financial sectors and in the uh, e-commerce sector and telco sector. And I think the common, common um, thing about our customers is that are all undergoing some kind of uh, digital transformation or digitalization, if you want to say. And uh, what our role in their uh, um, transformation is to ensure that they are doing that in a, I would say, in a safe way, in a safe manner. And uh, we do that by actually providing intelligence and actionable intelligence and, um, you know, to, to help them go through these uh, stormy uh, seas of uh, digital transformation. And uh, within that, I, I would say that, you know, uh, there are some companies do technology, others do services. Uh, we think either, neither is, uh, is, the, is, is something that uh, suits the, the purpose. So we actually do a combination of proprietary technology that we build along with the experts that we bring aboard to, to do the, uh, how to say, uh, the intelligence anal- analysis and doing the uh, actual, how to say, uh, detection and uh, hunting for threats. So this is, uh, you know, in a nutshell, what cybering is all about. 
So you do everything from helping them sort of determine what the risk is digitally to their company and then, you know, sort of figure out what those threats can be and, you know, harden a, you know, a company uh, through that, that cybersecurity assessment of those risks, right? Exactly. We, we believe that, you know, the, 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 um, um, if you open the dictionary under defense, you would see that it's actually a frustration of that, right? So if you don't know who is going to attack you and how, you probably will have a hard time doing the defense. It's, 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 uh, it's a common, you know, to all security and safety uh areas and, and particularly to to cyber security so uh this is why i think it is important that we provide our customers with the risk profiling and what is the threats that are luring the in the dark to their businesses and then helping them to understand how they're positioned against these threats and they're doing that not just by, you know, uh, check the box type of uh, assessments, but actually uh, hands-on uh, penetration testing, red teaming, and then doing the hunt itself to see where we have identified spots that are weak, weak spots that, you know, making sure that you haven't been breached already. So we... It's amazing how the, the community of criminals, cyber criminals and hackers, have become so sophisticated and much more planned with regard to their attacks. You know, they know who they're going to go after sometimes. You know, obviously they're the ones that use, you know, the shotgun approach where, you know, they just set a software in motion and just go probe IP addresses and ports and look for vulnerabilities and ways into systems. But there are, you know, other criminals that are much more sophisticated and we've learned that there are entire businesses built around this industry that are, for all intents and purposes, the people that work for them feel like it's a legitimate job because they go to the job every day, even though their job is to hack into computers at other, you know, companies and, and try to, you know, to, to figure out a way in that they can, you know, plant their ransomware or whatever they're, or steal data or whatever they're looking to do. Uh, it's amazing that it's become such a, really a big business offshore and it's very hard for companies, you know, in the United States or in other countries to to go after these criminals because a lot of times it's very hard to find them. So the best yeah. thing to do is, of course, to harden the systems that you have and to know where your threats are and to analyze those risks and to assess them and to rank them. You know, I mean, obviously, looking at the at the the situation that's going on in the world right now with a, a global pandemic shutting down effectively the vast majority of industry, it's not really the thing that a lot of businesses can plan for because it affects every business. So even if you had, for example, a data center that was compromised in say, you know, New York, and you can, you know, flip and, and turn to your disaster recovery plan that says, well, that's fine. You know, we're going to just start up our operations and, and off, you know, move everything so that the phones and and emails and stuff get answered by our our satellite, you know, uh, replicated location in, say, Pennsylvania, that doesn't happen today because everybody is shut down. And so it's the sort of threat when you have a global threat, whether it's a pandemic or, you know, uh, worrying about some other thing like uh, a solar flare that knocks out the electricity or a meteor or an asteroid striking the earth. I mean, there are certain risks that you know, they're always going to be there. And really, you, you don't want to waste time planning for things that are not realistic because if you're screwed, everybody is. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's nothing right. that anybody's going to do about it, you know? But the ones that are realistic are obviously the ones that are, um, are the ones that we have to focus on. And so, you know, as, a, as a, somebody who worked as a CISO, uh, you know, a chief information security officer for uh, a big shipping company, obviously you ran into all kinds of challenges. What were some of the biggest challenge that that you see and that you faced uh, both in general, I guess, and then sort of in the context of an economic, you know, slowdown or shutdown like we're seeing now? Yeah, just, just uh, yeah, right. Um, just to, to say that you said that, you know, criminals, cyber criminals are, are not there for the uh, fun of it. They are in for business. Just uh, I want to share with, you know, our audience that, uh, very uh, restrictive uh, um, estimations and uh, the, the uh, 
global economy of cybercrime is $1.5 trillion. This is the fourth largest economy in the world. It's actually the same GDP as all Russia. So they wow. are there for big business and they know where uh, the business are most vulnerable and they hit you when they, where they uh, see that you're not protected. Now, going to our current situation and again, based on um, you know, my own experience, uh, I would say that first of all, we are you know, in the midst of a global event, you, you mentioned that. Um, we, 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 it's hard to know what the full impact of that would be, but we know that things has been, it has far reaching impact uh, that we are you know, looking at right now and we are starting to assess that and to understand and comprehend what, what is going on. But I think that, you know, being a CISO at times of crisis is something that is, 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 is a challenge. There are a lot of challenges. And, and I would say that at the end of our talk, maybe I'll say about, um, explain how several maybe opportunities there for CISOs. So in terms of uh, uh, the challenges, you know, there are several aspects that we need to look at, um, you know, COVID-19 is actually driving digitalization. Uh, companies now must interact with the customers in an online type, type of fashion. You know, they, they need to, to be able to provide that, uh, an online type of shopping, retailers, online shopping is, is their key to survival. If you like to say, they need to also transfer the goods if they are not electronic, the physical goods to the house. So there's a lot of different aspects to this uh, type of uh, situation that we are in. Um, that being said, you know, uh, economy uh, slowdown, it again depends on the, on the, on the sector and um, the changes in the way um, operates work in terms of, um, you know, mobilization of remote workforce and the massive increase in usage of collaboration tools, remote access, and so on and so forth. So the I think training is probably a big challenge, wouldn't you say? Because so many people have, have had to be forced into using these different technologies, whether it's Zoom or Skype or, you know, uh, Google Hangouts or meetings uh, and, you know, these different types of online collaboration tools, as you mentioned, Itai. It's, it's yes. I think, a big challenge to get them trained and up to speed quickly. But then, of course, you have the massive challenge of how do you secure all these remote workers, especially those that are using personal devices now? You know, they're using their home computer or their personal laptop to access corporate resources. You know, that's yeah. got to give, you know, CISOs just absolute nightmares, right? Yeah. This is uh, one of the things, you know, that is uh, when you're a CISO, you build your own defenses and you have some assumptions that, you know, there's a, uh, a workforce that you protect working from the offices and some other workforce that you find a way to protect when they work from afar. But, uh, you know, uh, always on uh, a temporary basis, not on a day-to-day -day type of engagement. And this really brings out um, several challenges, not, you know, beyond the, the fact that some of the controls that you have within your network or protecting the perimeter are just not valid when people are working from their computer or the uh, you know the laptop um, worker laptop. Um, some of the controls just doesn't apply, and and that leaves vulnerabilities uh, to people, the criminals and hackers to to explore uh, and exploit. And uh, and I think that another uh, um, aspect that is challenging. Uh, is being able to maintain these remote platforms security, meaning how do you monitor that? How do you patch that? How do you even, you know, uh, being able to see that if something happens, what is the risk that you have? Has it, this computer been connected to uh, VPN? Has it been connected to any uh, SaaS corporate uh, you know, like uh, application, business application that are now being accessed from, not from the office, but from afar. So there's a, a lot of different moving parts now that you as a CISO need to take into consideration 
But I think that if we only focus on that, we might miss the complete, the whole picture, the whole picture that a CISO needs to look at when talking about COVID-19 challenges. Um, so what would you say are the most common types of threats that CISOs should be looking at today? Um, I think that, of course, uh, one challenge that they need to look at is all that I said is the we talked about that, the endpoint type of remote working, work from home type of theme that they need to work their head around how to secure that. Uh, remote access points are being targeted right now as points of entry for uh, or points of attack for, for different uh, threat actors. Uh, I think on top of that, you should also take into account the cloud risks uh, that are intensifying now, either due to the fact that um, business are going more digital and they just, you know, deploy more capabilities that are on the cloud. So, you know, all that shadow IT type of uh, risk that you have mm -hmm. or other uh, external third party vendors uh, that provide some access and you need to control that. And you have mentioned, um, you know, um, companies that have been compromised due to the deeds of third party actors, uh, sorry, third party uh, vendors that has been, you know, providing them with services. So your information is being handled, you know, uh, sensitive information, the business or private information is handled by third party vendors. And how do you maintain control during this period over that information while it's being extensively more open? And that is definitely the challenge because there are, you know, we, we've always had to deal with threats to the safety and security of the corporate network and of the resources and that the data, you know, be, that sit behind the network. But with the, the huge increase in usage of resources with regard to things being online, like cloud-based solutions, which, I mean, on the one hand, they're great because you don't have to worry about people, you know, always upgrading the individual components of application software on their computers, right? They're just accessing things through the web and uh, through a, you know, supposedly secure interface. But uh, I mean, I think with the increased usage of things like two-factor authentication and in some cases even, you know, three-factor authentication, that's probably, in, at least in my opinion, probably one of the best ways that we can secure access is by forcing people not just to punch in their name and their password, but have that system now reach out to them through an email or through a text, or maybe in some cases both, and make sure that they can now enter in that additional piece of information that secures that connection. And then hopefully once that connection is made, you know, it's encrypted and it's, you know, it's fairly secure so that it's not going to really be able to be compromised, you know, the data that's in transit because all the packets and stuff are, are the data is being encrypted. So even if it isn't, you know, somehow grabbed, you know, they can't read it. So, I mean, wouldn't you say that, that probably that the use of increased, you know, two and even three factor authentication is probably something that most businesses should adopt if they haven't already. Yeah, I, I think that that's uh, you don't need the COVID nineteen to 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 have that recommendation. This is right across all uh, anywhere that you can um, you know enhance authentication. These two or three factors authentication, just do it. This is something that needs to be uh, a built in thought of of uh, how to secure. However, you have um, you need to also take into account that if the platform itself that you are doing the authentication upon that platform, on top of that platform, is compromised uh, due right. to uh, uh, a phishing mail that has been um, with malware that you have just uh, 10 minutes ago activated, and now you're doing the all the authentication of the world that you want to do. This is something that, uh, at the end of the day, could be exploited to, to use you as a conduit into the next, uh, how to say, resource that the hackers are into looking into. So. That must be kept in mind, and this is a specifically correct for these times 
that we are talking about remote um, remote uh, workforce. Um, one more aspect bit that I want to to stress is that it's maybe more less technical, more like soft skills for Cisco. CISO, CISO, um, this is uh, the uh, realization that many businesses now are on um, transition mode. They are not business, yes. are not as usual. So being a CISO at these times, and I myself was experienced that, bringing a lot of pressure on you to authorize, uh, you know, and support uh, the way of uh, business initiatives that are, you know, uh, hopefully will help your business recover. And this puts a lot of innovation and the uh, type of opening platforms and doing business, um, you know, more uh, risky business, taking more risks. And you should support the, uh, the management who, by the way, don't have the same um, how to say, attention spent for your security needs. They want to rescue the business. That security is not necessarily the first thing that they come in, comes into their mind when they are contemplating the next steps. So you need to be very, how to say, proficient and very, um, how to say, helpful to the, uh, uh, to the uh, management and be able to communicate with them effectively. And Part of the is, problem... And, and what, I, what I've seen is that, you know, we do cybersecurity program development for businesses where we help them develop a cybersecurity plan, basically, you know, how to do the part that, you know, maybe you don't have to hire another company to do, but they don't know how to do the threat assessment and the risk assessment and how to figure out what are the steps that they should do. But really, it starts all the way back at the beginning of you know, what is your company's vision statement? What is your company's mission statement? What is the corporate culture that exists around your company? Because if you try to put too restrictive controls on the different workflows and processes inside the business that do not allow it to function the way that it needs to, that doesn't work. And it's very, you have to have this sort of balance, like you said, between what is acceptable in terms of the security or lack of it in certain areas to get to have the business be able to perform the function that it does and communicate that to executive management or to boards of directors is sometimes difficult because they say, well, you know, we, we, we need to add, you know, they, they want you to maybe throw every possible piece of security at the quote problem to come up with a, a viable, good, secure solution but that may not always be in the best interest of a company. And I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think that you got it right. I mean, this is exactly the balancing act that you as a CISO, um, you, you don't need to be responsible for that. I mean, you're not the owner of the risk. The business is the owner of the risk. You need to be able to express to the business the risks and explain exactly what are the consequences of each decision what are the upsides and downsides of each decision and let the management have more informed decision and intelligent decision to make the intelligent decisions. And this is something that CISOs are, um, you know, doing that on a day-to-day -day basis. But during these times, the, they need to understand that this is not as day-to-day. -day. So they need to change their, uh, if you want, their, the record or the, uh, it's the switch to turn the switch that they say, hey, we need to be here more, how to say, agile, more maybe risky, but we need to take these risks in, in a manner that is, you know, makes sense and, and not. You know. So let's take a look at that and, 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 and the role that really threat intelligence plays, because it all comes back to having good intelligence and good intel, right? It doesn't matter if you're trying to undergo some sort of military operation, right? Or you're trying to secure your company from attacks and risks that exist. I mean, you're, the bottom line is you're fighting a battle uh, against cyber criminals. And so let's, let's talk a little bit about the threat intelligence because CyberInt has this, the threat intelligence suite, which allows you know, monitoring to occur. So what, uh, for our listeners, maybe just kind of give a good uh, synopsis of the role that threat intelligence plays in an overall cybersecurity plan. I will. Uh, so you remember that we, we started our talk uh, saying that um, defense is the frustration of attack. So basically, uh, if you don't know how you're going to be attacked, who is going to attack you? There's, there's, 
your chances of actually providing the, this defense is, um, you know, uh, how to say, uh, diminishing. Um, mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you cannot protect effectively and within budget limits and resource limits against all the threats in the world. You need to understand what are the threats that are more relevant for me and be able to respond to the threats. And this is the key here. You know, people are talking about proactive security. Proactive security is not responding to an incident and you're reactive. When you respond to the threat, then actually you're being proactive about security. So we are enabling our customers to be really proactive about their security, understanding what's going their way, what's coming their way, and how they can actually frustrate that before it becomes a breach, before it uh, becomes an incident. And this is the fact that we are looking at, you know, intelligence-driven detection and response, intelligence-driven security does exactly that. It enables you to be able to be, um, you know, proactive about doing, uh, throating the, the threats or uh, minimizing the threats before they become incidents. So this is sure. in essence what we are doing. And, um, you know, one of the things that we find is that uh, a lot of organizations are having, how to say, uh, difficult times uh, actually making sense of the intelligence that they consume. They, they, they find it hard to oper operationalize the, the intelligence. So part of what we are doing here is just going through, uh, you know, all the phases of making the intelligence actionable, be it for the decision maker, be it for your security operation within the CMSOC environment, or be it for, with other, you know, uh, very um, dedicated platforms like uh, uh, business platforms, uh, mobile applications, uh, and all that, you know, all types of different uh, business needs that you have when you're going uh, digital. And you have to be, you know, and part of the, you know, the procedures that have to be done is it starts right off with, hey, who's responsible for this aspect of the business? Okay. Is this, who's dealing with the access, for example, to our cloud application, right? Is it an outside vendor? Is it somebody in-house? You know, who's in charge of that? How is that monitored? How is that hardened? How does that access controlled, right? So right. being able to point to somebody and say, okay, we've got, you know, we've, we've done an analysis of the various risks that exist on, on the landscape to us here with our digital footprint, right? Who is in charge of, for example, an issue that happens in this area of the business or in this area of the business? And then you have to, you know, is, as somebody who's either the business owner or the person who's the, the chief technology officer or the CISO or CSO, they need to be able to work with all of these people across different departments because, you know, you can't do it all yourself, but you need to say, all right, here's where we see a really high likelihood of a potential area that could be compromised in our business. And we're basing that on what's going on in the news, We've seen other companies and this is where they were breached. This is, you know, how access was gained. What can we do as a company and specifically as that part of the company, that division of the company, that technology, specific technology that's being used by the company, how can it be further hardened, but not so much so that it presents a hardship on the people that have to access it? You know, what, what's a realistic way to, to increase and improve some of that security? And of course, as you mentioned, it's all, you know, threat intelligence is, is really, you know, maybe not step one, but step two in that process by looking at what is happening in the industry and uh, around the world. And the only way that we can really do that is by staying informed and staying in touch and, you know, you know reading stuff on different blogs or, you know, uh, subscribing to different maybe podcasts or subscribing to different newsletters that give us that information so that we know, wow, hey, here's, some, here's a problem that we're starting to see, you know, emerge more frequently maybe in this particular industry, you know, whether it's financial services or manufacturing or banking or, you know, local government, you know, because these are all different areas that are targeted by, 
by cyber criminals. And yeah. so having the proper way to do the research and look at that, and, and I have pulled up on the screen now, you know, the cyber research side of what you guys do, uh, because you have to focus on what's going to happen that could happen. And then how do we deal with that in real time? How do we stop that threat in its tracks? How do we then, you know, deal with it? How do we get back to business? And, you know, after we mitigate it and then after all said and done, go back and now analyze it and say, well, hey, you know, why did this happen? How did this happen? How can we pre prevent it from happening in the future? Because, you know, we're naive to think that we're not going to be a victim because something like 80% of all businesses are the victim of some sort of attempted, at least, cyber attack every year. You've probably heard the similar statistics there. Wow. That's huge. I mean, if you're talking eight out of 10 businesses are being attacked and most of them don't even know it, that's mm -hmm. a huge problem. You've got to make sure that you have technology in place that's showing you that, you know, your, your network is being probed, that, you know, attacks are being attempted. And so you can say, hey, you know, before somebody gets in and does damage, we need to implement some sort of additional security or change something that will allow us to really try to protect our company, our livelihood, our employees, our customers, our vendors, our everybody uh, from, from something. Because, hey, just one successful, for example, ransomware attack can cripple a business and many of them can't even recover. I mean, if somebody holds your data for ransom and they demand, you know, $50,000 from you and you're a small business that, you know, maybe is only doing a few hundred, you know, a few million dollars a year, that could be a huge problem for you. You know, how many people got an extra 50 grand sitting in the bank to pay a ransom? Not many. <laughs> right. And, and you know that uh, these times of... Uh of the COVID-19, um, uh, criminals are not very, uh, to say, merciful in the way that they are uh, waging the attacks. They are attacking specifically health organizations, knowing that they are going to pay, and pay much, because they have no other choice. They are not very, how to say, uh, cooperating uh, as criminals. Um, they have no morals, you know, nope. uh, second thought of doing that for, um, you know, hampering uh, with, uh, uh, you know, life-threatening situations. This is as, as far as it gets. So, and it could definitely be life-threatening in the case of, like we've seen, of hospitals, right? You have so, patient records are encrypted. You can't get to the information on your patients. I mean, people die when that happens. Exactly. And the criminal knows that. The, the criminals know that, and they are actually explaining that, and we can see that in the wild. Just to, to, to follow up on what you have mentioned earlier, you know, many times what we see is a type of a post-mortem situation where we are actually seeing the information that was stolen being traded over the dark net, you know, and by criminals. And this is in a way, you know, um, uh, coming to, to, to customers and saying, hey, your information is out there. This is like, you know, the, the horses has left its stable. This is something that, you know, it's, it might be too too late for 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 these organizations, but uh, just to to also uh, follow up on what you said and the importance of actually understanding your business is uh, you know you cannot really exaggerate how important it is. And the fact is that many times what we see is that cybersecurity sometimes has overlap overlapping responsibilities with fraud for example and then sometimes we see that things are actually falling between the chairs if you like you know mm -hmm. uh, not responsible for that he is not responsible and that there are cases that the organization actually loses money and no one is actually responsible for that and one of the trends that i think we will see in the you know new future and we are already seeing is that more and more cybersecurity. Uh, organizations are taking responsibility over fraud, which is interesting because, you know, at the time it was like a, a, a separate revenue assurance type of um, operations. But now we can see that more and more organizations are realizing, especially on the digital type of transformation, digital uh, area, that the uh, most competent body and most 
uh, how to say, operational competent body to do that is actually the cybersecurity. So this is some an interesting trend that I think we, we should monitor during the future. Sure. Um, well, then that, that kind of brings me to, there's only so much that we can control and we meaning, you know, somebody who is trying to secure a business, right? For whatever standpoint that is, you know, on the, on the business side of it. But we don't have the ability to do much with regard to, say, third parties, right? When we have third party partners that are at maybe accessing our data or, you know, accessing some systems, you know, maybe to check on order status or update shipping information or to, to get POs or whatever it happens to be. So how can we try to mitigate some of the risks from our third party partners? Do we have to, you know, turn around and get with them and say, hey, look, you know, you're accessing our systems. We need to make sure that you guys are secure and compliant. We need to understand the security in your company. So how do you, how do you deal with that when you're dealing with somebody that you may not have direct control over, but yet you're so tightly integrated as partners and them being a third party partner with your business how do you sort of make sure that things are as secure as possible when that happens? Yeah, this, uh, this is indeed a very um, good question because we are um, seeing a lot of um, security uh, breaches actually originating from third parties. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the end of the day, you know, as a business, your customers are not interested or to hear that the leak was originated from a vendor. They have provided you with the information and they trust you and not the third party. Now the problem is that you said correctly, I don't have access to that third party systems. Uh, I have, you know, the ability to ask questions, uh, but I need something that is more, how to say, uh, empirical to be able to identify, is this uh, third party vendor risky or Maybe it was in a point of time secured, but now he's risky because he has, you know, undergo uh, some breach. And this is again a place that uh, uh, threat intelligence, cyber intelligence, could actually come into play because when we collect information about, uh, you know, threats and uh, threat landscape, we do not collect information that pertains only to our customers. We actually collect a lot of information pertaining to many other companies. And one of the things that we can provide, we are providing our customer, is to actually understand what is the status of their third-party vendors in terms of how risky they are when we are looking at the information that we have passively collected about that uh, third party. So we can score, actually provide a score, how this uh, third party, what's the level of risk that this third party represents. And this is one of the things that we see that is uh, getting more and more attention from our customers, you know, the breaches that are going on. And uh, that is uh, a capability that is, again, returns to the ability to collect information and analyze information in an effective manner. Then you run into the all-important question of, okay, so <clears throat> we've, we've asked some questions of the third party. And maybe they've given us some answers that we don't like, <laughs> right? So now how do you handle that? You know, do you say, well, do you, you know, and that could be very, very touchy because, you know, if it's a big partner and you're representing a, a large, you know, amount of commerce, you have to kind of walk on eggshells maybe a little bit and say, hey, you know, we've noticed that you guys are not utilizing whatever, or your level of encryption is not as high as we would like to see. Uh, if you want to continue to do business with us, you know, after say, you know, the first of next year, we, you need to make sure that your systems are upgraded to this capability and that sort of thing. So I think probably the most, uh, you know, tactful way to do it is to maybe make some recommendations uh, without trying to jam it down their, their throat, but say, look, you know, we take security and, uh, and our data you know, ability to protect that data of our customers and everyone else very seriously. And, you know, we've implemented all of these things on our side of the equation to, to make it protected. And when we've looked at and analyzed our third party vendors, you know, you came up as someone that 
wasn't quite up to speed with where we would like you to be. And then, you know, you, I guess you kind of got to handle them with kid gloves a little bit, right? And make those recommendations and then hope that they do. But if they don't, you know, there may have to be some sort of consequences. I, I totally agree with you. And, uh, um, you know, uh, going back to the COVID-19, you can see what happens with Zoom. Uh, a lot of customers are now questioning us, uh, should we use Zoom as a platform mm-hmm. for video conferencing, taking into account all the publications that we have about leaked credentials and vulnerabilities and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, um, I think that this is also something that we, we are seeing happening right now is that uh, the, 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 uh, the sense of uh, the public is that being secured or being secured is something that is, 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 has a business impact. By the way, you said that you are, uh, might get answers that you don't like. I can tell you being a vendor and doing these questionnaires, we try very hard to provide the, the answers that our, um, um, our uh, customers expect us to, to provide. And, 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 you know, it's on the other end, how can you verify that if you say, yes, I have that, that indeed you have that, what you're saying. And this, this is something that also uh, you have to have some empirical or uh, supporting evidence that you can, you know, refute or, 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 or uh, justify what, what is uh, your thinking that the situation is. I yeah, there needs to be some sort of audit, you know, and, you know, show me some proof that you've implemented this. And then you can breathe a little bit easier as the customer, right? You can say, okay, cool. You know, now we've know, we know that all of our vendors are up to, say, you know, the level of security that we would like. You take a little bit of a sigh of relief, right? <laughs> because, you know, nothing, there's no such thing as 100% security. It doesn't exist. I don't care in, in any, you know, business, right? There's no such thing as 100% security. The only no. way you're not going to get hacked is if you got a standalone computer and you're not connected to any network, and then you know you're you're limited with what you can do there. So, you're welcome you know, to do business with such a computer. Right. I mean, you you have to be connected today, and therefore there is always going to inherently be a risk uh, that exists to you as well as to every system that you connect to, uh, and vice versa. You know, you connect to a compromised system, and now your system is is got a problem. So, um. So as when you were working as a, as a CISO, what were some of the biggest security challenges that you had to face in that role? And that maybe that would really help some of our listeners gain a little bit of insight into the sort of things that they can expect to have to deal with. Yeah, I, I can tell you that I had, uh, it was uh, during uh, the economic slowdown of uh, 2008. Mm-hmm. And I was global CISO for Zim, um, and um, during that crisis, um, I had like a, a budget freeze for almost a year, a complete year of budget freeze. And I can tell you that uh, looking backwards, it was actually one of the best years in terms of cybersecurity that I had as a CISO because I had uh, the time and, and energy to actually work on internal processes on system integration that I haven't, you know, I've been chasing around technology, chasing after technology, after technology, as many CISOs to, to implement and the best of breed and, and, and all that, and the latest, uh, the latest and the, the greatest. And then once you have that, you actually can focus on a lot of aspects that are more, um, how to say, neglected in a day-to-day type of this race. And this is, um, working on, you know, uh, working on integration, working on communication uh, with the uh, uh, top management. I mean, what are the KPIs that you report about? How can you justify the budget that you are asking for? And so on and so forth. You have to perfect that and do that in a much more, how to say, efficient and effective, sorry, uh, manner. And this is, I think, one of the things that I have learned during these times. And another thing is uh, looking at uh, stuff like uh, TCO, um, total cost of ownership. Um, when you're, um, you know, when you're growing, uh, sometimes you have uh, that in mind uh, that you wanted to build your own organic uh, capabilities. 
but then you come to realize that you might need uh, assistance from other uh, companies and have like some of the uh, um, uh, services has as a managed service and this is something that also as a CISO I think that is something that you need to 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 contemplate these days and see uh, what type of operation you think is is a core competency and what is uh, the type of operations security operation that you should uh, outsource it, it, you become like a mini business if you like of providing security to your uh, company um, that, that that is um, you know I think in a nutshell, the 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 uh, overall uh, things that I see as a CISO. Now you know, um, looking uh, at at the angle of uh, current uh, situation, I think that at the end of the day, you look you have to look at the uh, uh, controls that you have uh, before that you had before the crisis, and now to compare what is the situation that is happening now. Control after control, just go through your controls. Make sure that it, if it's not effective, what are the mitigating controls that you can employ? And this is uh, a work that needs to be done. Uh, and uh, I think there's no no shortcuts here. I mean, you really need, need to look hard into your uh, current uh, security st status and, um, you know, not uh, uh, say, not even um, uh, stick to all plans that you have that were based on another situation that is no longer valid. You need to understand right. that the situation has changed. This is, you know, somebody has moved the cheese. Something is, <laughs> is different now. And, uh, Absolutely. And, and, it, and it, you, you raise a good point in that it is, it's a good time for companies to assess what they've got because you now have changed the game and a lot of times it was rushed out and so you know in a in a in the i don't want to sort of say panic but in the the increased immediate need to right. allow people to access corporate resources remotely i'm sure <laughs> and i'm sure you agree with me is that things were done sort of quick and dirty and not really done and rolled out the way that they normally would have because typically there's some sort of life cycle there, right? Where you, you have a, an environment, you roll out some new technology or some new means of access, you test it maybe in a, in a test environment, you analyze it, you take looks at it for over a period of time to see if there's any weaknesses. Well, most businesses didn't have that luxury. If they had something in place prior where they had remote workers and things, then okay, great. Then you just kind of expanded your capabilities and that, that you know, not a big deal. But if you did not have that capability or if you had very limited capability in the past and now all of a sudden, instead of rolling it out and you've had maybe, you know, 20 people accessing the system remotely, now you've got 200 or 2,000 accessing it remotely. You know, what sort of implications does that have in terms of the strain on resources? And, you know, what does that do for performance of, you know, the, the, of the programs that people need to access? And then obviously the security side of it is, you, you know, you just took your digital footprint and your risk, you know, size, and you went from just a very small pool of potential risk areas, right? And you expanded it out exponentially in, in a lot of cases. And so... The criminals know that. And the criminals yes. know exactly that. And they are exploiting that. And they know what is going on. And they know that many organizations now have, uh, you know, soft spots that they could actually use in order to, you know, to, to, make, uh, to make money to actually leverage for their own good. By the way, it's not just criminals. We are talking about criminals, but also nation states. Don't yes. make any mistake. We are uh, at the, you know, this is all the, all the uh, different threat actors types that you can think about are actually in the game of taking advantage of whatever they can. And they actually know exactly where we are. And then it's not, you know, you see also uh, like influence operations going on. Anyone, is just using this situation to their benefit 
in the way that they think best serve their interests. That, and that, that is the, the, the equation here. So at the end of the day, when you're a CISO, you need to be uh, able to focus on what matters. Uh, you cannot protect against, against everything. And you know, there's too many moving parts for you to actually be able to, you have to prioritize. Right. And my belief is that the way to prioritize is by knowing your threats. Knowing your threats is threat intelligence. And this against, again, coming back to the, uh, how uh, important it is to actually understand who is going to attack you, to attack you, and how is you're going to be attacked. And at the end of the day, with these uh, actual scenarios or uh, you know hypothesis-based scenarios, you can actually go and check your re resilience or even do threat hunting or whatever you are. And you got to test. A lot of people don't test. Well, we're flying right through here, Ty. I, I, you know, I, we could talk for a while, I could tell here. Uh, a couple more questions I want to make sure I get to here. And that is, you know, what are currently some of the obstacles and the challenges that you're working on right now to address? Uh, we are uh, as, a, as a cybering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we, well, uh, first of all, as I said, um, you know, we are also an organization that uh, has uh, um, operations and needs to work, uh, you know, like everyone else, change our way of working. Uh, so uh, leave that aside. Um, I think that there's a lot of uh, happening right now within the uh, threat actor arena. Um, you know, there's a shift and, and some of the resources that we had in the past are, are now not available. There are new resources that now have become available. We, we, are, we are seeing that uh, uh, bloat of uh, new threats um, um, going for the COVID-19 type of like phishing attacks right. that we are seeing going on. And uh, also uh, malwares that exploit uh, VPN and RDP type of uh, vulnerabilities or um, leak uh, credentials for uh, the access credentials for these uh, systems. So uh, I think that uh, we are str struggling, first of all, to help our uh, customers actually work their, their heads around what's going on. I mean, they're asking us, can you advise what is going on? What are the main uh, threats that we have currently at hand? And I can tell you each geography, each sector has its own unique need. So you need to be very, I have to say, specific about what type of defense suits your business. And this is my own, always my first um, you know, uh, advice to CISOs is that, you know, it's like the uh, Anna Karenina all Happy family looks the same. Each miserable family family is miserable in its own way. So <laughs> this is uh, each uh, each organization has its own security need. Understand that you are not just like the other. There are some common base, but you need to understand where your business is and what really needs protection. I think this is the key here to be able to provide, you know, uh, effective security during these times of crisis. And I think we could really extrapolate that out and say, okay, so today or in this, this recent environment, we are faced with a certain challenge from COVID-19. So people, bad actors, nation states, cyber criminals are all going to take advantage of whatever the current you know, challenges or the current news is or the current threat is or whatever is currently, you know, I guess hot, right? So right now, we're all getting inundated with all kinds of emails about COVID-19, right? You know, do you go watch this webinar on it or go download this program or go click here to find out more, okay? And some of those are obviously valid and they're coming from business partners or people that we've done business with in the past or maybe newsletters or maybe co-workers or other businesses, right? A lot of this stuff is valid. But in between all of the valid stuff, there are going to be those phishing type messages and those malware, uh, you know, problems that can occur. And so I think if, if we could take sort of one thing away 
in that respect, it is, okay, this is the challenge today based on what's happening in the world at this moment, right? But this will be behind us, but there will be another challenge, right? It might be six months from now, might be a year from now, maybe two years from now, five years from now, whatever. But whenever that new event happens, right, we're going to see the same sort of cycle go on. We're going to see, again, a huge number of messages and emails and uh, information about whatever that new event happens to be. So we've got to be very, very careful about what we're clicking on, what we're seeing, is it valid or not? How do we really determine the validity of some of the information that we're getting? Because we get so bombarded, and when we see the same things happening over and over and over again, what happens is, like with anything else, we get numb to it, right? Right. We just we after a period of time, we don't even see it for what it once was, right? After <laughs> it's like you get numb, and it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. Another message about this. What's this one about? Or just delete it, or you know, we can get very complacent when that occurs. And that is one of the most dangerous things that could possibly happen is allowing that complacency to allow us uh, to drop our guard and not be vigilant about it. And so it's so important to stay up on the current trends, the current threats, uh, what's out there, what new technologies can help us. And, uh, and there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. But as we evolve, the criminals evolve. And so it's this big cat, you know, it's this cat and mouse game that goes on forever. And uh, we've got to try to stay a step ahead. And it's like, you know, every time we make a, a change, they make a change. And they make that change. Now we have to make a change. And, you know, it, it's, 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 it's very, very challenging, no doubt. It, it, it actually is uh, going back to what you said about training and awareness. You know, your first and last line of defense is the human factor. Mm -hmm. uh, your end users, uh, end users, I don't like that uh, uh, phrase, but you know, your teammates are the ones that are going to set, set how the incident is going to happen or if it's going to happen at all and how it's going to impact your business. At the end of the day, you know, investing in, in, in security awareness and not just by, you know, uh, type of um, uh, sending emails that, hey, be careful, this is uh, going on but actually carrying out drills for, you know, uh, fishing uh, uh, simulations and other simulations. What I'm trying to say is that you, try, you should invest in the human factor mm -hmm. um, during these times and any investment that you have done before, this is the time that you will get the payback on that, in the, <clears throat> on that um, uh, awareness. Not just for end users, it's just like, well, top management through the last employee, everyone. That's right. Everybody in the chain needs to understand, you know, and the bigger the company, the more challenges there are, the more people that have to be involved. But yes, training is, I mean, you can mitigate the vast majority of problems if your staff, if your employees, if your team is trained properly, they're going to understand what to look for. And, and little things can set it off. And, you know, it has to be when in doubt, you know, err on the side of caution. And if you do receive something that's directing you to do something, you better have some controls and procedures in place that are a safeguard. You know, if you need to, if you're being told to wire money somewhere, well, there better be a set of checks and balances in place to make sure that that's a valid transaction for example and right. so it's it's very it's very tough because sometimes we're tricked into giving up some information that we think may not be that important but you get that little bit of information from this one and a little bit of information from this person a little bit of information from that person and all of a sudden now the criminal can build that profile that they need to then execute a successful attack or hack on a business so it's yeah. uh, it's very very challenging no doubt uh, as we wrap up here, uh, just a couple things real quick. Is there something that you found that works that you keep coming back to over and over again, whether it's training, whether it's a piece of technology, whether it's just some other general, you know, sort of piece of advice that you could say, hey, you know what, I do this all the time and this really works? Um, you know, uh, get to the basics, return to the basics. Uh, when you're held in this situation, just go back to the drawing table, go to the basics, look at the very basic things that you're doing, if it's applicable or not, 
Uh, this is my first advice. And uh, at the end of the day, I think that, again, you know, not surprisingly, I believe, I truly believe that you need to be aware of the threats. You need to be uh, literate about what is going your way, what is coming your way, and what is going to, to affect your uh, employees, your business, your systems, your DevOps personnel, any, any, anything that is uh, connected with the operations, I think. This is uh, the number one advice that I would uh, give uh, CISOs. Yeah, the um, basics, I think, is a great idea because I think it's easy for people to get overwhelmed, especially those that aren't, uh, you know, that don't have a high degree of technical knowledge and they feel maybe overwhelmed by, you know, what do I do? Like, I don't understand all of this technology. I don't understand all these threats. That's okay. You don't necessarily need to understand them, but you do need to understand the likelihood of those threats affecting your company. And if they do affect your company, whether it's as a whole or divisions inside of it, how is that going to then change how you're able to deliver your products, your goods, your services to your customers? Is it gonna affect the delivery of the products? Is it gonna affect the payment of your invoices? Is it gonna affect the payment of your employees? Is it gonna affect your ordering products? Is it gonna affect the way that you get your orders in from your website, because a website is crashed or compromised? So you, if you take a real, like a, I, I tell people, you know, you gotta take a bird's eye view of everything, and then you don't necessarily have to drill down into the greatest level of detail. You can rely on other people in the organization to get the, the real nuts and bolts of it. But you need to understand what's out there. What are the effects of something when it is, you know, shut down or uh, affected in some way? And then how do you mitigate that? How do you get back to business as quickly as possible? And then how do you fix it so that it doesn't happen again, hopefully, right? I mean, that's that's the bottom line in, in terms of what we need to do. Yeah, and, and for me, going back to the basis, also, you, you, you need to, to secure your base. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying, you, you have to be uh, uh, supported. You, you need to be supported by top management. Then go and get that support. You need to be uh, cooperate. You need to, the, the, uh, um, all the company to cooperate with you. Go get that cooperation. You know, you need to be, uh, how to say, very effective in the way that you manage your actions. And I think when you, do, when you have these big blocks that you need to handle, it's much more clear what you need to do than trying to, as you said, going into the details of each of the different aspects of the uh, nuances that you can get into that or the other options, then you might get lost with all the uh, information that you overwhelmed with right now, this time of the, uh, you know, in the crisis. So I asked you what you, what you thought did work. I'm going to play devil's advocate and, and finish up by asking, what is something maybe you've done that didn't work out the way that you thought it might? Uh, well, it's an interesting question. Um, I think that at the end of the day, um, you need to understand that the maturity level of the security organization can be so much uh, different from the IT organization. I think this yes. is one thing that I... I was thinking that I could do because I was reporting directly to the CEO and not to the IT. And <clears throat> I thought that I could, uh, you know, do things much more maturity in terms of security security than the IT, while that was apparently not the case. So this is something that, you know, uh, uh, I have learned uh, the truth in, uh, you know, in trial and error type of uh, lesson that I got. Very good. Because, you know, IT and cybersecurity, they depend on each other, but they're kind of two, si two different sides of the same coin because they have to be separated. You can't have the IT handling the cybersecurity and you can't have cybersecurity handling IT. They've got to be different, separate because your IT department is part of the company that helps create the value for the organization, whereas the cybersecurity side of the business has to protect that value. So you can't have the same department 
sort of auditing itself, right? It's, it's, it's not like I'm going to create this and I'm also going to protect it. No, you're going to create it, but then you've got to have somebody else objectionably, you know, look at it and say, okay, how can we best, you know, deal with protecting what it is that we're creating here? And it, and it has to have that sort of that partnership, right? You know, it's sort of a marriage uh, between the two, but yet they have, they have their own set of responsibilities. They have their own they still have to be separated in order to be the most effective at it. And so if a company says, you know, hey, I've got an IT department, they handle my cybersecurity, no, you, you must have it different. It has to have somebody, at least some single person, if not a whole team, that is apart from it that can look in, but they have the ability to look at things in an objective way and then make recommendations and some will be, Baby implemented, and some of them won't. Again, going back to how restrictive or not you are, because a company like in the financial services industry, or in insurance, or in health, obviously has to have much tighter controls on data than, for example, a software development company or a right. company that's maybe just doing some manufacturing. Right, so they don't need the same level of security necessarily, but you've got to understand that difference, and so. Um, I really yeah. appreciate you coming on. Uh, yeah, just, and to, uh, just to say that one one more comment regarding what you said, um, mm -hmm. with regarding to the financial industry here in Israel, we have I was one of the uh, authors of the regulation for cyber security for the banking industry here in Israel, and we have defined a different role for the cyber defense officer than from the CISO. So it's just, but just. For that exact reason that you have mentioned right now. So oh, wow. Cool. You're awesome. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on here. Obviously, if our listeners are interested in more, learning more about you, Atai Yanovsky, uh, or the company Cyberint, they can go to the website, which is Cyberint, C-Y-B-E-R-I-N-T.com, of course. Uh, they can also find you on social media. I see you guys are out there on Facebook and LinkedIn. They can search for you and connect with you that way. I'll make sure that I post your uh, links in the interview. Uh, before I let you go, are there any last thoughts for our audience today? Um, just, uh, you know, uh, at these times, um, things are uh, working both ways, how to speak. Uh, there's a time of challenges, but also great opportunities for CISOs to shine out and bring value to their, uh, and value to their organization. So look at the uh, upside rather than downside. That is my final look. Right. Justify your job, right? Yeah, <laughs> Make yeah. sure, show you, show them your value, right? By think protecting like the organization. Think like an enterprise, not just like, a, you know, uh, uh, an engineer. That, that, that is my uh, thinking. Very good. I like that. That's great. Well, for any of our listeners who want more information on cybersecurity, you can also learn the seven simple steps to create a cybersecurity program for your business by visiting cyberbizplan.com. So thank you for being on Safety Talk, Atai. Thanks for our listeners for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can always get more information as well as past episodes and the latest news about safety at safetytalkpodcast.com. And all of our interview videos are available on our YouTube channel that you can get to by going to safetytalkvideos.com. So until next time, everybody, please stay safe. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.